Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Scriptures tonight will be a new King James Version, so you can follow along. And tonight we are starting in a lot to cover Revelation chapter 10. So chapter 6 gave information about the first six seal judgments. And by the way, my front camera decided to take the night off, decided not to work. Um, So the first six seal judgments were chapter 6, but not the 7th. There was an interruption in chapter 7 where God was going to seal the 144,000 and tell about the multitudes they're going to win to Jesus. Chapter 8, the interruption ended. The opening of the seventh seal, which remember, described the first four trumpet judgments, but not the last three. Chapter 9, we kept on going with the next two trumpet judgments, but not the seventh. Chapter 10... Now we're going to, you guys seen the pattern? We're going to have another interruption before the judgments begin. This is a time of interruption so John can receive a message from a mighty angel who will present, the Bible calls a little book, and the angel will not tell John what the seventh trumpet judgment is, but he'll tell John what he's going to do. And the results of that are recorded in chapters 11 and 12. But let's go into chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, verse 1, it says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. So it's the angels wearing a cloud and a rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire. So John is seeing a mighty angel just kind of like in Revelation 5, 2. Now he's seeing another mighty angel. We don't know the identity, what its name is, but we know that it's going to have great authority. We know that the angel will be allowed to stand in the presence of God, and the angel is going to speak on behalf of God. It's going to have the power to speak on behalf of what God wants to say, and some say he'll be an archangel, but what's interesting to me is he's wearing unusual garments. First of all, this mighty angel, the Bible says, if you're taking notes, is clothed in a cloud. Now, in the Bible, clouds have been associated with two things, the presence of God, if you're taking notes, and the return of Jesus. Remember, God came down on Mount Sinai in a cloud in Exodus chapter 19 and led the Israelites with a pillar of a cloud, which represented his presence. Also in the book of Exodus chapter 13. Jesus ascended to heaven in a cloud, according to Acts chapter 1, and will return, according to Matthew 24, in a cloud. So what you're going to see is a pattern here that the cloud represents the presence of God and the cloud represents the coming of the Lord. And so these are what the Bible says the angel's actually wearing. It's wearing a cloud. Now, this angel could be a reminder from God that Jesus is returning soon, that there will be the coming of the Lord. We will establish his government. Second, the angel is wearing a hat-like thing, which the Bible calls a rainbow or one translation says there's a rainbow circling his head and the rainbow we know is a reminder that God promised that he'd never destroy the flood again remember that there is a rainbow an emerald rainbow around the throne of God and so we could only speculate about the rainbow on the mighty angel's head but it probably symbolizes that God is a God of grace a covenant of promise and of mercy and he's not going to let the world destroy itself before his son returns. Remember, the world is in complete chaos during the book of Revelation. You know you're not missing anything, we just started. The world is in complete chaos, and the thought that the world has is, how could all these destruction, uh, uh, over a billion people murdered, then another billion people murdered, a 200 million person army, the locusts torturing people, the question on the earth's mind is going to be, Is this the end of the world? Will the world be destroyed? And so this angel is reminding us that God is not going to destroy the world and that his son is going to come back and and establish a government. Third, 
The Bible says that this mighty angel's face will shine like the sun. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, his face shone from being in the presence of God. It, sh it shined like the sun from being in the presence of God. So again, the presence of God is the cloud and the return of the Lord is also a representation of a cloud. When John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, Christ's face, the Bible says, shone like the sun. The Shekinah glory of God will be on this a mighty angel's face and it will indicate that the angel has been in the presence of God. I don't know about you listening right now, but I want to shine because I've been in the presence of God. Remember Acts chapter four, verse 13 says that the disciples, these men were unskilled and they were uneducated, yet the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees marveled because these men had been with Jesus. Is it possible, we're in chapter 10, verse 1, is it possible that the disciples in Acts 4.13 were shining? Is it possible that like Moses have the glory of God, like Jesus shines, that when you're in the presence of God, there's a glow about you? I can, I can recall times where I would be working at Starbucks, and I remember people would come to the drive-thru and say, there's a glow, there's something about you. I've been places before and someone said there's something different about you i was on the phone the other day with the utility person setting up a utility bill and the lady said there's something about your spirit that is is glowing and i'm like what over the phone but is it possible that as believers we can glow in the presence of god is it possible that the glory of god can radiate out of us and i believe we're getting to a place where god wants to release his power where god wants to release his glory where there's going to be some believers that shine there's going to be, be some believers that glow in the dark that in the midst of darkness there's going to be a glow about you now Moses lost the glow he lost the presence of God it started fading and the Bible says he put a veil to cover up the fact that the glory was fading and I don't know about you but I never want the glory of God some of you are covering up the fact that the glory of God is fading in your life but I believe tonight that the Lord is going to reignite your passion come on Holy Ghost help me tonight reignite your glow reignite your flame and you are going to shine in the presence of God now don't expect to shine if you're not in God's presence okay you're not gonna shine by watching Netflix all day you're not gonna shine by living on YouTube you're only going to shine in the presence of God think about the presence of God recharging you it's like those glow sticks when I was a kid I wanted those like little animal and stars that you put to the ceiling and my mom was like no they're gonna ruin the ceiling and I begged and begged and begged and she finally got them for me and I put them up on my ceiling and they didn't shine at all and I was thinking what's wrong with these well I didn't realize you need to charge them those glow-in-the-dark stamp things you all know what I'm talking about if you're from the 90s you do if you're not you have no clue what I'm talking about you would have to you'd have to charge them with a the flashlight or you have to have your light on to charge them you couldn't just stick them up and glow and when the light hit that that uh, glow-in-the-dark animal whatever it was come on help me in the chat whatever planet thing you had it would charge the glow-in-the-dark plastic would charge from the light and this is what happens in the glory of God we get charged by the Holy Spirit God power God's anointing charges us up and then when the darkness is around us we actually glow but if you're not in God's presence you're useless if you're not in God's presence you're not all like all the 90s kids in the chat come on if you're not in God's presence don't expect to glow you say why am I at work and I got to move on because I'm only on verse one we got like three chapters to cover but it's like why am I at work and nobody wants what I have. It's because you've lost your glow. But tonight in Jesus' name, the glow's coming back forth. The mighty angel's legs were the Bible says as pillars of fire. And remember when John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, his feet were like fine brass, which is a symbol of judgment. So the fiery legs of the angel represent God's plan to bring upon divine judgment. So here's what we learn from the angel's appearance. God's a God of grace. 
He's a God of his promise. He's not going to let the world destroy itself. And God's son, who is Jesus, is absolutely coming back. Friend, do not lose sight of there is a real Jewish man that is coming back to earth to establish a government. He's literally going to walk the earth and establish a government. He's coming back. And guess what? You're going to be raptured. And at the end of the tribulation, you're coming back with him on a horse. You're coming back to the earth to rule with them for a thousand years before the new Jerusalem comes. Be excited about that. Revelation 10 verses two through three. My mom's in the chat. She get a test of the glowing thing. My mom said I couldn't get them off once you were over it. There we go. Revelation chapter 10 verses two through three. The angel had a little book in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. So one foot was on the sea, one foot was on the land could imply he's a very large angel. Other Bible scholars and commentators say it was implying that he was taking the earth as the Lord's territory. He was claiming the territory. I don't know exactly what it means. No one really does, but those are what we can speculate. The voice of this mighty angel, because again, I'm depicting what the angel is going to be like will be as when a lion roars. Now, the angel is not the lion of the tribe of Judah, as some people say, but his voice will be as the voice of Jesus when he is angry. When you hear the lion roaring or the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's not a good thing. It's not like, oh, the lion's roaring. He's going to devour his enemies. No, it's the anger of God against the world. He's going to speak as Jesus would speak. And whatever he says will be as if Jesus said it. he's a representative for the power, the prince, the glory of God. And at the same time he speaks, a voice in heaven, so the Bible says, will roar like the seven thunders. Now you might say, what's the seven thunders? The seven thunders is a symbol of the voice of God. Psalms 29 verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thundereth. So now we see the voice of God connected to the glory and the thunder of God. The Lord is upon many waters. So God is going to speak. The seven thunders is the voice of God. And he's going to make a strong statement in Revelation 10 verse 4. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. Okay, so he's hearing what the voices are saying. John is saying, John's hearing. And John's about to write down what the voices are saying. He says, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them so john can hear the voice of the seven thunders he can understand the voice of the seven thunders he's about to write down what the seven thunders are saying but right as he's about to write it down a voice says john don't you dare write down what you just heard me say. So there's something locked up. There's something preventing John from recording this mysterious message, but he heard and knows, but he's not allowed to reveal what he heard. Now, one of the first things I'm going to ask when I get to heaven is, what did the seventh thunder say? What did the Lord say to John that he couldn't write about? Again, this is a mystery of God that we don't know nothing about. So just remember also that thunder represents the, the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And so what he uttered, many scholars believe is probably about the divine judgment that's going to come because remember we're still getting into the bowls being poured out it's gonna the earth is gonna get much worse job 26 14 these are just the beginning of all that he does merely a whisper of his power who then can comprehend the thunder of his power so we're gonna see thunder is power thunder is wrath thunder is the voice of God and that's exactly what John is hearing Revelation 10 5 through 6 the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land look at look what happens here okay raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him him capital H him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and things that are all things that are in it 
the earth and everything that are in the earth and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. So just as a witness raises his right hand to take an oath to tell the whole truth in a courtroom, this angel is also going to raise his hand toward heaven and swear to tell God's truth. The angel's making a covenant saying, I swear to tell the truth. Everything I'm saying is absolutely truth. So his oath emphasizes the fact that he has authority and the power of God behind him. The fact that he's able to make an oath is God being in agreement with the mighty angel. Again, we don't know the mighty angel's name. We just know there's a mighty angel. Remember what the tribulation saints asked for in Revelation 6, 10 through 11. Remember what they asked for. We talked about this a lot. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge those who dwell on the earth? Then each of them was given a white robe and told to delay a little longer until the number of their fellow servants were killed and was completed. Here the mighty angel will say, it's time to stop the delay. So chapter six, they're saying, Lord, how long? And the Lord said, delay a little bit longer. There's going to be a delay until more have been martyred. And now the angel says, there shall be delay no longer. Now we're in chapter 10 and the angel says, no more delay. This is a, this is a terrifying thing, friend. No more delay. The wrath of God, the full brunt of God's wrath is getting ready to be poured on the earth like never before because the number of martyrs have reached completion. Now God will avenge the blood of the martyrs. When the time comes for the seventh angel to sound the seventh trumpet, that trumpet woe, it will release the seven bull judgments. God will complete his plan. It'll be the answer to the martyred tribulation saints, what they've been waiting for. And God will no longer delay in his vengeance for their persecution and their death. Those, those that have martyred believers and killed the Christians, God is going to release all out judgment on them. The delay is over. The martyrs that are under the altar of God praying, Lord, how long till you avenge us? How long, how much more suffering will you allow? And the Lord says, just there's going to be a little delay. Now the angel says the delay is over. God is getting ready to, and I get chills guys talking about this, but it's real. God is getting ready to vindicate these believers. So to the believers on the earth who've been running, hiding, waiting, these words will mean they no longer have to wait for God to move against the wicked. Now I want you to think about, again, a lot of stuff we're covering here. I want you to think about the believers on the earth that are running from God, running from the Antichrist, running from the wicked rulers and kings that are hunting them like animals, and they're on earth saying, Lord, how much longer? Why are you allowing us to be martyred? Why are you allowing uh, this, this Antichrist system to murder believers? Where are you? When will you avenge us? So this will be them finally saying, okay, we no longer have to wait. Now God is beginning to move against the wicked. And the unbelievers on earth, this will mean now God is going to pour out his wrath with no delay. And this message should be a word of consolation to the saved and a word of terror for the lost. So for us, for those saved, the believers, this is a word, this is a beautiful thing. And for the lost, this is absolute terror because now the Lord's going to pour in his wrath and the final judgments will start falling and there will be nothing that's going to stop the final judgment. You're going to see Satan's going to try to stop things. He won't be able to stop things. He's too weak to go against God. Revelation chapter 10 verse 7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be, could, would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Let me say that again. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mysteries of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So Jesus has now opened all seven seals and six of the angels have sounded their trumpets. The last trumpet is going to bring upon, remember, the seven bold judgments. But before the seventh angel is about to blow his trumpet, a voice from heaven will declare, the mysteries of God are accomplished. 
just as he announced to his prophets. So one of God's secrets will unfold during the seven trumpet judgment, exactly as the prophets predicted. God will unveil mysteries, which I'll go into in a second, that we've not known about. So the Bible identifies several mysteries. One of them is called the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness. It's the mystery of why God allowed Satan to cause the fall of mankind. A mystery on why God allowed sin to do so much damage on his world. A mystery on why God is allowing his church to, or his people, not his church because they're raptured, his people to be persecuted and martyred during the tribulation people period and a mystery on why God will allow the false prophet and the antichrist to reign. So what he's saying is what John is saying is the angel is going to reveal the answer to these mysteries and no longer are we going to be, why are you allowing this? Why is this? Why is this? All of these mysteries will finally be answered when we reach heaven. So imagine every question you ever had answered in one moment. And you realize in the midst of all of your questions that God had everything worked out all along. Have you ever been through a season, come on type one, where you're questioning, why is this happening? Why did I go through this? Why did I go through that? And in a moment, you're gonna stand one day before God with complete eternal clarity and you're going to understand why God did everything that he ever did. Every mystery. I have mysteries. God, why did you allow this? God, why did this happen to my friend or family? God, why did this happen? That person just, this happened or that situation. And these are these are the mysteries of God because remember, his ways are not our ways. And these mysteries one day are going to be revealed when you stand before God. It's all going to be brought to light and God is going to reveal his plan. Now, there's a couple mysteries I want to show you in scripture. The mystery of the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. The mystery of Israel's blindness, okay, Romans eleven twenty five. The mystery of God's wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 7. The mystery of Christ and the church, Ephesians 5, 31. The mystery of Christ in us, Colossians 1, 26. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13. And the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3, 16. And one day, all these mysteries that the Bible talks about will be revealed and we just have to realize that right now, and this is gonna help some of you that overthink everything, Right now, you're not going to understand it all. You just need to believe him at his word. You don't need to understand everything. You need to have faith in God and trust God. One thing that religious people want to do is they want to understand everything. And so if they don't understand something, they they, they uh, preach it away. Like if they don't understand a Christian having demon, they're going to preach a doctrine that Christians can't have demons. If they don't understand how the soul works, they'll preach there's no such thing as the soul. If they don't understand why God uh, has allowed people to go to hell, then they'll preach a doctrine that hell doesn't exist. If they don't understand why someone died of cancer, then they'll preach that God doesn't heal anymore because if God healed, why that person? So these mysteries, we're not going to know it all. Friend, write this down. Some things you will never understand and you have to be okay with it. There are some things not for you to know. If you knew everything, you'd be God. So why worship him? But there are things that are mysteries. So right now, say, Lord, it's a mystery. And I don't have to know, I don't have to understand, but I'm going to trust you at your word and I'm going to believe your promises are yes and amen. And one day, every stone will be unturned and every mystery is going to be revealed. So understand that this is what the Bible's saying is the mysteries are going to be revealed. Revelation 10, 8 through 9. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So now the voice is telling him to take the little book that's in the right hand of the angel. And so I went to the angel, John said, and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it 
and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So now John is moving from a place of spectating this out-of-body experience to now John is participating in what is happening. Now, whether John was in heaven, whether John was on the earth, whether he was in a trance, that's a that's a debate. We just know that John was in the spirit. So this is one of those mysteries where we don't know. We don't have to know. We just need to believe that John is now going to take the book because the angels or the voice is telling him to take the book from the angel. And this is a form of receiving a commission or a special task from God. John will switch again from being a spectator now to a participator. And this is what God is calling every single one of us to do. Remember before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, go preach the gospel to everyone. So Christians are not just saved to wait for the Lord's return but God is saying participate in my word do the works I've called you to do the call to every believer is the call of participation I want you to ask yourself tonight I'm just preaching a bit here while I'm teaching this are you participating in what God is doing or are you going to be like when the voice of God says go take the book you're like I don't really want to because for many of us the Lord says go read your Bible and we don't read the Bible. The Lord says, eat the book, eat the scroll, consume, consume the word of God and let the word of God change you. And many of us ignore God. We don't participate. We listen to preachers. We listen to teaching, but God is not looking for those that are spectating. There's no reward for spectators. There's only a reward for those that participate in the miracle. The Bible will profit you little unless it becomes a part of you. You need to consume it. So the angel tells John, take the book and eat it. And this might sound off the wall to you. Like, why would you eat a book? But it's not a new principle in the Bible. Jeremiah ate the words of God. Ezekiel ate a scroll from God. So this implies the idea that the word of God must be received in the heart and not left to the outside of the body. So what does it mean that he eats the scroll? It means the word of God is not enough to just affect the outside, but it needs to enter onto the inside. When you eat something, it goes into the inside of you. Come on, that's not too complicated there. So what God is saying is I want you to consume my word and my scroll and let the word of God get in you. Let the word of God wash you. For many of you, it only impacts the outside. But God is saying, I want you to impact the inside. Remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and Jesus said, all you care about is the outside of the cup, the cup being cleaned. But he said, you're washing the outside, but the inside is still dirty. So I'm not interested in washing the outside. I'm interested in the inside being clean. So you have to realize the Bible will not profit you unless it becomes a part of you. You need to understand the Bible needs to get in you. We don't just need to read the Bible. We need to obey the Bible. So how do I know if I'm consuming the word of God? How do I know if the word of God's getting in me? The way you know if you're eating of the word of God is if you're actually doing it. If it's actually becoming a part of you. What did Jesus say? Like, where is this in the New Testament? Matthew 4, 4. It is written, according to Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone. So he's speaking of consuming, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, let it get inside of you and change you. This is your high calling, a life of the spirit that must be nourished by spiritual food, which comes from hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, abiding in the word of God. We need to let the word of God get in the inside of us. So this instruction to eat this little book will come with a warning. Here's the warning, John. It's going to taste sweet at first in your mouth, but then it's going to turn sour once digested. 
So learning the word of God with its plan and mysteries can be enjoyable and exciting, but understanding the reality of the judgment of God can make you sick to your stomach. It's like reading the word, reading Revelation, and you see all the beauty of God in Revelation, and then you get sick to your stomach because you see the judgment of God. The word of God has a double-edged effect. Remember, the Bible says the word of God is sharp like a two-edged sword. One edge is that sweet in the mouth, the honey. The other edge is that bitter, bitter taste of like, I love, and let me just break it down more. I love salvation because God is holy. He saved me. He's delivered me. I'm going to heaven, right? That's beautiful. It's sweet. And then the bitterness is, what about my unsafe family? Come on, are you guys feeling this tonight? What about my unsafe friends? What about my neighbors that are going to hell? Why is it that it's so sweet to me but there's this bitterness about the word of God because I know that I have family right now that have died that are in hell burning for all of eternity. So that makes my stomach turn. That's sour. That's bitter to me. Although God is good and kind and loving, there's a bitterness. There's a judgment side. There's a two-edged sword of the word of God. And this is what we're seeing here. The judgment of God can make you sick to your stomach. It's the bittersweet. Isn't it sweet to know that Satan will soon be bound and chained? Chained but bitter to know what the people on earth are gonna have to go through. See what I'm saying here? So isn't it sweet to know that we have a final victory in Christ, but it's bitter to know the judgments, the plagues, the pain, the loss of life, the eternal destinies that will be lost in the tribulation. So there's that bitterness. So you have to understand, some things are sweet, some things are bitter. Revelation 10, 10 now, let's move on. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand, so John did what God said, and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So John did what he's instructed to do. He takes the book and eats it. It tastes good at first, but then he says it was sickening. It was making my stomach bitter. So this is what we have to understand. This is the only place to find truth is in the whole word of God. If you're preaching a partial gospel, you'll never find the full word of God. You'll never find the full call of God, the full plan of God. You need to digest it. And you need to not only take the sweet portions, but take the bitter portions. A lot of pastors, they don't want to preach on demonic. They don't want to preach on spiritual warfare. They don't want to preach on hell. Because here's what they say. It's bitter. It's not sweet to talk about hell. Yet you have to realize if you're not digesting the true word of God, you'll only have sweets. So we have a lot of Christians that only want lollipops. Only want Sour Patch Kids sermons. They only want sweet. Give me a sweet word. Give me a, a Burger King fast food gospel, fast food word. Because they don't want that bitterness that preaching on repentance and judgment. So here's the test, whether you're getting the real word or not. If everything that comes up in your church is tasting good, you've eaten the wrong thing. If your, sir, if your church you go to only preaches things that taste good, are you guys with me tonight? Type one, only teaches things that are sweet to the taste, that it's your ears, you're not getting the full gospel. The gospel can be extremely bitter and challenging at times as it should. The gospel is not supposed to be sweet all the time. There's a bitterness that draws me out of compromise. There's a bitterness that draws me out of sin. So you have to understand that we need to preach the whole gospel. We can't just preach the sweet gospel. God told Ezekiel, preach the message, the words, whether the people want to hear it or not. What did he tell Jeremiah? He said, Jeremiah, I'm going to raise you up to preach and you're going to do all these great things. And then at the end of it, he says, Jeremiah, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. 
How great is that? God says, you're going to have a ministry. You're going to have a live stream. You're going to preach on Facebook, YouTube. I'm going to use you. And you're like, God, I'm so glad. I'm so excited. And then you go live and there's a hundred people and nobody wants to listen to you. Everyone's booing you in the chat. No one wants to hear what you have to say. And this was Jeremiah's anointing. God said, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you're going to preach. But guess what? Before you even preach, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be rejected. Why am I telling you ahead of time you're going to be rejected so that when it happens, you don't run from me. When it happens, you're not shocked. When it happens, you're not dismayed. When pastors talk bad about me and they say, oh yeah, this pastor, I'll have friends call me. Oh, this pastor was talking bad about you because you believe in deliverance. And they were saying that you're wrong because, you know, casting out demons is not for today. And it's like, I'm not shocked. When God told me in August of 2020, preach on spiritual warfare, preach on uh, spiritual warfare and casting out demons, and I did for six months because the Lord told me to, I already knew that people were going to put me under the bus. I I made a bed under the bus and I decided to live there because I already knew pastors would throw me there. And guess what? Can I be honest before you and before God? It doesn't affect me the slightest. Not one second of sleep do I lose, not one bit of bitterness or unforgiveness. I could have the biggest pastor slander me and find out about it, make a video on me, and I don't lose a wink of sleep. It doesn't, I don't lose my appetite. I honestly can care less. And here's why, because the Lord said, Isaiah, in August of 2020, when he told me to do this, he said, you're going to, you're going to have to pay for this. They're going to reject you. They're going to talk bad about you. Do you want to do this? And guess what? I signed up knowing this was part of seeing people get free. So here's the thing. I'm not afraid of getting bitter. I'm not afraid of preaching the whole gospel. I'm not afraid. Listen, there's 3000 of you on here. You're my friends. I got my wife out here. If none of you want to be my friend, I don't need any friends. I don't need a bunch of people following me or liking me or anything like that. I need to be obedient to presenting the full book, not just the sweets. So for many of you, you go Sunday morning, all there is is sweets. Every sermon is sweet. Every sermon is about the love of God, but there has to be some bitterness. Revelation 10, 11, he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So when John was told to eat the book, he was given a commission from God. The book was sweet and bitter, which is what the word of God is. He was told to prophesy. Now here's what I want you to notice. He was told to prophesy about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This was not him prophesying to them. He was to prophesy about them. And this is what John is going to do in the remaining chapters of Revelation during the tribulation period. Many peoples, many nations, many tongues, and kings will open up these last chapters and read what John had to say about them. So let's let's look at that one more time because I know it sounds kind of complicated. Verse 11 of chapter 10. You must prophesy again about many peoples. So God is saying to John, you're not prophesying to them, you're prophesying about them. And John did, and John wrote in Revelation. And now, one day, these wicked rulers and kings and plagues are going to be happening on the earth. And in the tribulation, people are going to open up the Bible. And think about this, in the tribulation, they're going to open up the Bible, and they're going to see themselves in the book of Revelation. And John will have fulfilled what God told him to do. Because John said, prophesy about many people, kings, tribes, priests, all this. Prophesy about them, and you're going to prophesy, and they're going to read the prophecy in the tribulation period. Okay, let's chapter wrap up and go to chapter 11. We went 30 minutes on chapter 10, praise the Lord, because I want to try to get through two more chapters tonight, and I'm really stretching myself here. But let's do chapter wrap up. Another mighty angel will come down from heaven, adorned in strange garments, holding a little scroll. He will claim the land and the sea for God. It's Revelation 10, 1 through 2. The angel standing on the sea will rise his right hand and declare there will be no more delay of the judgment on the earth. Revelation 10, 5 through 6. John will be told to take the book from the angel, which signifies a Christian's duty to act upon God's word and not just listen to it. Revelation 10, 8. When John eats the book, 
It's going to taste sweet at first, but it'll turn his stomach sour. This exemplifies that the word of God is exciting, but understanding the realities of judgment can be sickening. Revelation 10 through 9. And then Revelation 10, 11, God assigned John the task of prophesying about many peoples, many nations, many tongues, and many kings. Hi, Pastor Vlad. We love you, bro. Appreciate you. Okay, chapter 11. Let's move into it, guys. Are you excited? Type 1, chapter 11 verses one and two then i was given a reed like measuring rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of god the altar and those who worship there but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it's been given to the gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months now i debated going into this whole teaching on the temple and what it means to measure the temple and the altar but i decided i'm going to go through this kind of quick because it would take me like 40 minutes to try to break down the whole temple and i want to get through what we need to get through in revelation talk about the two witnesses so we're not going to go deep into that just know that john was told not to measure the outer court of the temple this is a literal temple um this might also signify that the holy place and the holy of holies is going to be rebuilt some architects and prophecy experts say that this could be rebuilt without disturbing the dome of the rock i don't want to go into the dome of the rock and the mosque that's being built all that type of stuff but understand that there is going to be a sharing of the temple there's going to be a sharing of the outer courts it's going to be given over to the gentiles and they're going to trample on it and this coincides with what jesus taught that gentiles will control jerusalem and the temple during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period so again i'm not going to go into the whole teaching the temple there's plenty of those teachings on youtube on google let's go into verses three revelation 11 3 I will give power and I will give power to my two witnesses. So now we're going to see the introduction of the two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law required two witnesses to validate matters pertaining to Jewish Jewish religion. In the same way, God's going to send two witnesses to prophesy and validate the world's sin and the blasphemy during the tribulation period. So these two witnesses are going to be preaching out against the sin of the world, and they're going to be preaching the judgment of God during the tribulation period. The Bible says they're going to wear sackcloth. And this type of attire, it might sound strange to you, but it was normal in the Old Testament for prophets to wear sackcloth when they were ministering to people that are deeply involved in sin. And we talked about it last week, the sins of the tribulation and all the stuff that people are going to be doing. These two witnesses are going to also be given supernatural power to perform miraculous signs. Some believe it's Elijah and Enoch because Elijah and Enoch never died. Others believe it's Elijah and Moses because they both uh, both appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It doesn't say who they are. Again, we can only speculate. It does, it does though, describe their power. Two witnesses perform miracles similar to Elijah and Moses perform. They have power to shut the sky so no rain will fall as they prophesy. Elijah displayed that same power when he told Ahab there will be no rain or dew for the next few years until I give the word. So that's why many believe it could be Elijah. The two witnesses also have the power to turn the rivers and the oceans into blood. This is something Moses displayed when he turned the Nile and all the water in Egypt into blood in Exodus 7 verses 20. Some also think, again, it was Elijah and Enoch. Why? Because neither of them died. Both were taken to heaven. They're the only two people in the Bible of course, Jesus was taken to heaven, but only two people in the Bible that didn't die that were taken up to heaven. Neither of them died. So some people believe that they, because they didn't die, they're waiting in heaven and they're going to come back again. The end of the, when this happens, they're going to hate the two witnesses. They're going to hate God. They're going to be the two most hated people 
on the planet and part of the judgment why they're going to be hated is because the judgments that they release on the earth they're also going to have the power which we're going to see here in a minute to send any kind of plague that they wish and this is going to bring frustration upon the world and they're going to try to harm these witnesses but these witnesses will not be able to be killed i'm going to show you this in a minute what's going to happen to them after they complete their testimony the antichrist will uh, finally end up killing them which we're about to see revelation 11 4. these are the two olive trees so now john is talking about the witnesses it says these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the before the god of the earth so each witness is represented as one an olive tree and one a lampstand. And it's taking two symbols to represent one person. So under, to understand this, you need to understand what these mean. The olive tree is found in Ze Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2. It says, two olive trees stand by a lampstand and provide oil to the lampstand. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn more about that, go to Zechariah 4, 2 through 6. The two witnesses will also be olive trees because they'll be full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about the lampstands. We know that they bring light. So not only are they going to be full of the Holy Spirit, but they're going to bring light in the midst of the darkness and that's what they're going to be that's what these two witnesses represent and they're going to continue to preach with power signs and wonders god told jeremiah i will make my words in your mouth fire and this this people would and it shall devour them and this is going to be the fire that comes out of the mouth of the witnesses that will devour people revelation 11 verse 5 and if anyone wants to harm them listen to what john says fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies and if anyone wants to harm them they must be killed in this manner so these men are going to be untouchable if anyone tries to mess with them literal fire is going to come out of their mouth and burn apart and burn up the people and the bible says that the people that try to harm them must be killed in the manner of fire so there's going to be literal fire coming out of their mouth showing the power that they have revelation 11 verses 6 these these have power to shut heaven so that no rain will fall in the days of their prophecy and they will have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all kinds of plagues and then watch what it says in verse six as often as they desire so they have power to shut heaven stop the rain they have power to turn water into blood and they have power to, to release plagues as often as they desire so god is going to give them full power to release plagues on the earth as they see fit god relinquishes these two witnesses they'll have incredible power doing these things so think about this for three and a half years they're prophesying no rain can imagine the ground being cracked no plants being able to grow um water turning into blood so now not only can crops not grow because there's no rain but also people cannot find drinking water fish can't live in the ocean or the water and they're able to turn any water into blood and there's no telling what other plagues that they're going to release upon the earth they're going to be absolutely powerful but praise the lord that they're on the side of the line of the tribe of judah and god has given them this power revelation 11 7 when they finish their testimony the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So the two witnesses are going to be supernaturally protected, invincible, unkillable. Nothing can harm them. However, once their assignment is finished, and their assignment is bringing light to the dark and evil world, they're going to be killed. And the Bible mentions the Antichrist and the false prophet as being the two beasts. So this is basically what it's saying. The Antichrist is going to war against them. He hates them. Why does the Antichrist hate them? Because they're preaching against his system. They're preaching against the beast system. They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching about Jesus Christ. And so because he hates them, God is going to remove the protection and the Antichrist is going to kill them because God is going to allow him. So don't, please don't think for a moment 
The Antichrist is doing this on his own volition. This is God removing the protection and letting these men die because this is all part of God's plan and the Antichrist is about to see that he gone messed up. He messed up this time by killing these men because the Bible says in chapter 8, I'm sorry, in verse 8 of chapter 11, and their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which supernaturally is called Sodom, I'm sorry, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where our, our also our Lord Jesus was crucified, okay? So their dead bodies are going to be in the streets where spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Now, several cities in the Bible are called great cities. The great city, however, is clearly described because it's where our Lord was crucified so it can only be Jerusalem so their bodies are going to sit in the streets of Jerusalem for three days remember in the days of Isaiah Jerusalem was a wicked place they were so bad Isaiah compared Jerusalem to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah there was also strong language considering God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with brimstone in the days of Ezekiel, Jerusalem was the harlot, the Bible says, that chased idols and false gods. And God said they acquired their idolatrous and idolatrous ways in Egypt. Remember the golden calf the Israelites built was from their way from Egypt to the promised land. In Christ's day, Jerusalem was filled with sin again. The leaders falsely accused him, uh, uh, tried him, and then ultimately crucified him in Jerusalem. So this is speaking of Jerusalem, of where that these men are going to die and they're going to lie in the streets. Now, not burying someone because they're not going to be buried is a sign of disrespect. And so the Antichrist, by not burying them, by not letting them have a proper, proper burial, and remember, these people are leading a revival, this is a statement to, from the Antichrist to the world that we do not respect Christians, we do not respect God's government, God's authority, God's power. And so we're going to let these dead bodies chill, just lay out chilling in the street for three days in Jerusalem as a sign to the entire world that these men have lost and that the Antichrist is fully in supreme power. But watch what's going to happen. Revelation 11, 9 through 10. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. So when you see tribes, peoples, tongues, and nations, it's talking about the whole world, okay? So the, the, let me just translate. The whole world will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put into graves. So no one's allowed to bury them. It's a sign of disrespect. And all those who dwell on the earth, look at how wicked the world is. All those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. So now they're, they're rejoicing. They're having parties and the whole world probably on television is now seeing these dead bodies. And everyone's excited but watch what it says in verse 10 they will make merry and they will send gifts to each other because the two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth are dead so the world is celebrating so think about when jesus was born and the wise men they came and brought jesus gifts they came and worshiped and celebrated the 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 um birth of jesus christ and just like on Christmas, we give gifts, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We know Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. We all know that, but it's a celebration giving gifts of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's a celebration time. So that's the celebration, right? Christmas. Now, when the two witnesses are lying dead, there's going to be a party and it's going to be an anti-Christ Christmas. It's going to be a, literally the Bible says they're going to celebrate. They're going to have a holiday of these witnesses dead they're going to praise and they're going to worship they're going to exchange gifts and this is going to be the antichrist christmas and this will be those who refuse to understand what god is doing they're going to think they won right here but watch what happens here revelation 11 11. now after three and a half days 
Oh man, this is crazy. The breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on all those who saw them. So now you have incredible scene here beyond human comprehension. The two witnesses, three and a half days, dead in the street, television cameras, live streaming. It's all over. There's a celebration, a global celebration. Every nation, every time, everyone in the world celebrating. Praise God. Praise the Antichrist. Not praise God. Praise the Antichrist. He killed the two witnesses. Now, here's what I want you to realize. When the Antichrist kills the two witnesses, he's going to elevate his perception because everyone's already trying to kill them. The armies have come against them. Tanks have come. Aircrafts. Everyone's tried to kill them. These men are invincible. You want to talk about superheroes? These men are invincible. So the earth, no one can kill them in the world. Now the Antichrist kills them. The earth worships. Praise the Antichrist. He was able to kill these two witnesses. They're lying in the street. The Antichrist is gloating. He's gloating like, look what I did. Let's live stream. Put it on every television station. Live stream the dead bodies. Everyone's dancing and parading around the dead bodies. And then all of a sudden, three and a half days go by, live television, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, movement. All of a sudden, no one's moving them. All of a sudden, those two witnesses start moving. And all of a sudden, every party and every festival begins to shut down as these corpses begin to move while the world is in the midst of celebration. And all of a sudden, God steps in and he's going to do exactly what he did to Adam in Genesis 2-7. He's going to breathe the breath of life into the two witnesses, resurrect them right there in the road. I can't wait to see this. Resurrect them right there in the road. Now the Antichrist messed up because he didn't even bury them. In the midst of him trying to disrespect them, he ended up playing right into the plan of God. And I want you to imagine the terror on the, uh, in, the, in the earth of those that have killed believers, those that have worshiping the Antichrist. Think about the terror when these men begin to move. Think about the terror when these men begin to get up. Because in Revelation 11, verses 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven. So now they're up on their feet in the midst of the streets of Jerusalem. The entire world is in terror. And God is just winning all the time, every time. And the Bible says in verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. So now the earth is watching all those that want to harm them, I'm sure the Antichrist wants to kill them again, but the Bible says, and for those of you who are like, this is false, I'm literally reading verse for verse, so you could just go ahead and feel free to exit here on the broadcast. Okay. They ascend in a cloud as all their enemies see them. Now, the Bible makes it clear in verse 12 that their enemies are going to see them take off in a cloud and know that they're, they're not going to be able to harm these men anymore and that God is fully in control. Everyone will know they died because their bodies will be in the street and everyone will also know that they've been raised to dead, that God has raised them from the dead and now they're going to ascend into heaven and everyone's going to look upon in amazement. Revelation eleven thirteen in the same hour. So within the hour of these men going into heaven, within the hour, there's a great earthquake and a tenth of the city, what city? Jerusalem fell and the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. I don't want you to overlook in verse 13 what's happening here. Okay. Many people have overlooked this. One tenth of Jerusalem is destroyed. 7,000 people die and the rest, a rest of what? Those in Jerusalem gave the glory to God in heaven. So when the two witnesses stand to their feet, panic spreads throughout the world. And then as people are wondering what's going to happen next, the two witnesses ascend into heaven, a massive earthquake breaks out, killing 7,000 people. The fear of God enters into the hearts of those that are in Jerusalem. And many Jews 
change their mind about God and begin to praise the God of heaven and a Jewish revival breaks out in Jerusalem. So understand this, that God is moving even in the midst of the earthquake and all these things happen. Remember when Jesus died in Matthew 27, the earth shook. And then in Matthew 28, when he rose, there was also an earthquake. So earthquakes are a sign of resurrection, revival, the power of God, something changing in the earth, something changing in the eternal realm. And so this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a Jewish revival in Jerusalem. Revelation 11 verses 14 through 15. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So in the seven trumpet sounds, there's a heavenly declaration that God and his son Jesus are going to take over. So now, the, and this is something the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. He said, then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdoms of God, the kingdom to God and the Father, when he puts an end to all that rule and authority and power. So Paul is talking about when the kingdoms of this world have now fully become the kingdoms of our God. Revelation 11, 16 through 17. And the 24 elders who sat before the throne, remember that represents the church. They fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, give, um, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. So now this announcement is going to cause this reaction, the celebration service in heaven. And all of a sudden Satan's end is drawing closer and closer as people are worshiping in heaven. Verses 18 of chapter 11. The nations were angry and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, and they shall be judged, and that you should reward your servants, your prophets, and your saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So Satan now knows, he's, he's stirring up the nations, Satan's stirring up the nations, because he knows that his time is getting, getting close to ending, and Satan is going to be scattering, scurrying, whatever you want to call it, to try to stir people up because the wrath of God is coming like the world has never seen before. Now, some places that speak of the wrath of God is the wrath of the lamb, Revelation 6, 16, the great day of wrath, Revelation 6, 17, the wrath to come, Revelation 11, 18, the wrath of God, Revelation 15, 1, the bowls of the wrath of God, Revelation 16, 1, the wine of fierceness of wrath, Revelation 16, 19. So you're gonna see over and over again, you're saying, Isaiah, you're putting a little bit too much sauce on it. It's not that angry, it's not that wrath over and over the theme of revelation the wrath of god the antichrist will not get away with it the wicked rulers and kings will not get away with it revelation uh, verses 11 verse 19 last verse here then the temple of god was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple and there was lightnings noises thunderings earthquake and great hail so the ark of god is a reminder of god's presence god's mercy that's going to be opened up in heaven so chapter wrap up God will empower the two witnesses to prophesy for 1260 days, during which time they're going to be able to smite the earth with plagues, consume their enemies with fire. That's Revelation 11, 3 through 6. After prophesying for, prophesying for 1200 days, the two witnesses will be killed by the Antichrist in Jerusalem, where their bodies will lie in the streets while unbelievers celebrate. It's Revelations 11, 7 through 10. Three and a half days will go by. God will resurrect them, call them to heaven, and a tenth of Jerusalem will be destroyed with an earthquake. Revelation 11, 11 through 13. A heavenly declaration will be spoken out in heaven, and Jesus will soon start his earthly reign that will follow the seventh trumpet blast. Revelation 11, 15. Revelation 11, 19. God will open up the heavenly temple, revealing the Ark of the Covenant, which serves as a reminder that God will always show mercy to Israel. Okay, Revelation 12, 
Um, I know we're 50 minutes in. Type 1 if you want me to go into 12. We're going to go into 12, guys. I know we won't be live tomorrow night. We're going to go a little bit. This won't take us long. We're a little bit over here. But let's go into Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars or a crown of 12 stars. So these symbols this woman has take us back to the Old Testament to one of the dreams of Joseph. Joseph's father... A man named Jacob interpreted the dream like this. The sun represented himself. Remember, Jacob was later changed to Israel. So the sun represented Israel. The moon represented his wife, Rachel. And the crown of 12 stars represented their 12 children, the 12 tribes of Israel. So the fam this family was the beginning of the nation of Israel. So notice the same three symbols in Revelation 12.1 are the same symbols in Joseph's dreams. She's clothed with the sun which is a symbol of Israel, has the moon, a symbol of Rachel, and under her feet has a crown of 12 stars, a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel on her head. I'm sorry, under her feet was the moon. So the woman represents the nation of Israel at its beginning. Revelation 12, 2. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. Verse 5 of this chapter tells us that Israel is pregnant with a male child who will rule all the nations. Okay, so her pregnancy is a reference to her condition just before the birth of Jesus. John says she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Before Christ's birth, Israel was a captive nation to the Roman Empire that had to submit to Roman leadership, pay Roman taxes, and obey Roman's laws. She was a nation, the Bible says, in travail. Again, showing us that this woman in Revelation 12.1 is the nation of Israel. Revelation 12.3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. The first sign in heaven was a clothed woman, which is the nation of Israel. So just write that down. Clothed woman, nation of Israel. The second sign in heaven is an enormous red dragon, which is Satan, which explained further in Revelation 12.9. He's enormous because of his great power. He's red because he's killed the multitudes of people and a dragon depicts his fierce nature. So this might be an actual representation. Others say it could be a, just a prophetic symbolism of what his power is. Okay. He's going to have seven heads, symbols of world governments, 10 horns, which we know symbolize the 10 kings, and seven crowns, which are symbols of the seven divisions controlled by the 10 powerful kings. The dragon will have seven heads symbolizing the seven Gentile world governments that Satan has led since the beginning of creation. It will also have 10 horns symbolizing the 10 kings that will reign with him during the entire tribulation period. Now, the Bible teaches these 10 kings, I'm trying to keep it simple here, will rise to power and the Antichrist will come on the scene in a unified union. The Antichrist will subdue three of them. Three of the 10 kings will be subdued and that their power will be concentrated into seven crowns. That's why if you have 10 kings, only seven crowns, because three of them are going to have their power concentrated into one crown. And this will be of the last world government. Okay. Revelation 12, four, uh, verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and devour her child as it was born. So stars we know are symbols of angels. And the fact that Satan swept a third of the stars out of the sky means he caused one third of the angels to fall. We know that Satan rebelled. The Bible tells that in the Old Testament and was cast down to the earth. This is another type of rebellion where Satan is going to lose his ability 
to accuse the brethren. Remember, the Bible speaks of Satan being the accuser of the brethren, that he goes before the throne. Satan is going to have this war in heaven in Revelation. This is not just speaking about something that Satan did. We all know Satan already fell. Many, well, we know is before Adam and Eve. We don't know when before Adam and Eve. But this is another war that Satan's going to declare in heaven. And Satan is going to lose his ability to be the accuser of the brethren. Okay? Revelation 12, 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod of iron. Now, obviously, that was Jesus. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So the woman will give birth to a son who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Uh, a second psalm identifies the one who will do this as God's anointed. Chapter 19 calls him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So understand this is a reference or this is speaking of Jesus. Jesus came out of the nation of Israel. And remember, the woman represents the nation of Israel. And remember, Jesus will rule the nations with an iron rod. We've talked about that before. There's going to be a, a world full of rebellious leaders and Jesus will come and rule these rebellious leaders. Notice it also says the woman is the mother of the child. Israel, the nation, gave birth. We have, we've already talked about that. Some scholars believe the woman is the bride of Christ. This doesn't make sense because the bride of Christ did not birth out Jesus. The bride of not, um, Jesus did not come out of the bride of Christ. He came out of the nation of Israel. Okay. Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman fled into the, into the wilderness where she was, uh, was, has a place prepared by God and they should feed her 1,260 days. Okay. So this is the last part of the tribulation period. The woman, flitterness, is God's chosen people, is God's children, is God's people, the believers, okay? So we're now in the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. 1,260 days, three and one-half years have passed. Now, there are three and a half more years before Christ's second coming. Jesus taught that the temple will be defiled by the image of the Antichrist and of the tribulation period, the desecration of the um, temple that will be right in the middle. And so this woman who represents Israel, God's people, is going to flee into the desert, a special place that God has prepared for her, and they're going to flee there. We don't know exactly where it will be, but we know that there's going to be safety there. Revelation 12, 7, and a war broke. Now again, this is speaking of a war that's going to happen that Satan's going to lead. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So Israel flees, a great war erupts in heaven, Satan leads a war against God's angels and again Satan is going to lose the battle and he's going to be out of heaven once and for all Revelation 12 8 but the, they did not prevail nor was there found a place for them in heaven any longer so people say well when was it was happening but there's also another battle Revelation talks about where Satan is going to lose his ability to be the accuser of the brethren and just like he accessed God and Job no more access to heaven at all and he'll never be able to come before the throne remember the Bible says he comes before the throne day and night accusing the brethren and the accuser of the brethren will be out once and for all Revelation 12 verses 9 so the great dragon was cast down the serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world he was cast down to the earth angels were also cast with him so he takes his rebellious angels he wars against God he makes his war in heaven the angels in heaven fight back and back down to the earth and now he's with his angels on the earth and again all hell breaking out where these fallen angels are with satan now we're going to begin to rule on the earth until the lord returns revelation 12 10 then i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our god and the power of his christ have come for the earth and this is where i want you to notice for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our god day and night has been cast down so when Satan is cast down, we will rejoice because our salvation will be complete. Satan will be banished from the presence of God forever. He will no longer accuse the brethren. All power belongs to Jesus. There will be no 
first Satan to heaven at all, the kingdom of God will come to earth and Jesus will exercise full authority over the enemy. So right now, we'll say Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He prays before the throne of God day and night, pointing out the sins of God's people. But Jesus too is there as the advocate, as our defense, as our attorney, as our defense. But guess what? Satan's going to cause this battle, lose this battle, and no longer will he be able to accuse us ever again. He'll be cast down to the earth forever until he's chained up again for a thousand years. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about that in the future. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the land, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. So the believers will have power to overcome Satan during the tribulation period by trusting lamb because it's through the blood of the lamb that our sins are atoned by testifying to their faith because we acknowledge Jesus before men. The Bible says he will also confess us before his father. And then thirdly, by not fearing death, because here's what these martyrs understand, that death is far better than hell. So here's the option. You get martyred, you get killed for your faith, or you reject God, you take the mark, you resist God, and you get separated from God and you get thrown into hell. So it's better to die. We don't love our lives unto death. We have no love for our lives. We'd rather serve the Lord, get murdered for our faith, be with God for all of eternity. That's why Jesus said, don't fear that those that could destroy your body. Fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So it's better to die temporarily, but to live with God than to love your life and not, and not give your life for the Lord. Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to thee on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So here's what the word of the Lord is to the inhabitants. Here's what it's saying in verse 12. I feel bad for you guys. Woe unto you. Because now the devil went from accusing the believers before the throne of God. Type of access. Again, these are mysteries we don't know fully. Now, this is what the word is to the inhabitants of the earth. The devil's come down to you and the devil has great wrath. The devil knows his time is short. So now the devil knows I'm running out of time and he's, he's going to be breaking out all havoc on the earth. Heaven's going to celebrate this great triumph as angels have been cast out. But watch out, inhabitants of the earth, the devil has fury and the devil has wrath. Okay, Verse, uh, verses 13 through 14. Dragon saw he'd been cast down to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child, the male child. Remember, in the nation of Israel, these are God's people. Now he's persecu persecuting the believers because um, that Jesus came out of the nation of Israel. He's taking his wrath out on them. Verses 14, but the woman was given two wings, an eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent, okay? Israel is going to escape Satan's grasp on the wings of a great eagle. Come on, somebody. But we need, we understand that this is God's place of provision, place of escape that he's already prepared. We talked about it earlier. And now God is giving them this ability to get out of the way, to get away from the um, Antichrist, to get away from Satan protection. And this is going to be that last three and a half years. God's going to provide a place of safety. And just like God provided for Israel, remember God gave them clothing and water and food to provide for his people and give them supernatural provision, prosperity in the midst of all out calamity. Remember, there's not, this is the no crop rain, the water's blood. People are starving, but God is going to rain supernatural provision for his people. And this will go on for the last three and a half years. And that's what a time times and a half time. It means the three and a half years of the tribulation, this remnant of Israel, it'll be a special place for God's people to hide. Revelation 12, 15, serpent spewed out water out of his mouth, like a flood after the woman, which is Israel. 
then he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So in the Old Testament, God used flood waters river as a symbol to represent an attack of the king of Assyria on Judah. The flood waters represented army troops pouring into the tiny nation. This verse is using the same type of symbolism when Satan sees God's people, Israel, fleeing to the wilderness. He's going to send armies to them, but the armies will not prevail because God will raise up a standard against them. Revelation 12, 16. But the earth helped the woman. Listen to this. The earth opened up its mouth. So picture that Israel's fleeing from these armies and the Bible says the earth is going to help them by opening the earth's mouth, pulling up the flood, which is the armies. Remember, the flood represents armies. The earth's going to swallow up the armies, which the dragon has spewed out of his mouth. Okay? So here's the dragon empowers these demonic armies the armies come after god's chosen people after israel they're fleeing from the armies the bible says the earth ope to help them out and these armies remember th this flood which is the armies fall into this massive pit that the devil spews mouth so this is god's divine intervention these are symbolic things speaking of the army that's going to come after god's people but god will bring provision all right chapter 12 verse 17 last verse overview and then pray and the dragon, okay, watch this, was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, the dragon, who is Satan, we already know this, is absolutely angry and enraged. She got away on wings of eagles, the Israel, God's chosen people, this remnant God has. Again, he's angry. So what does he do? He takes out her by making war on the rest of God's offspring. So there's one chosen group of Israel God has. We don't know who will be, what it will be, chosen group. They get away, right? There's another group of tribulation saints that are maybe just got saved or maybe getting saved, but are not a part of that chosen chosen uh, group, that Revelation 12, 1, that group of Israelites. They're, they get away. The other group doesn't get away. So the dragon says, I can't get them. I'm going to take my wrath out and I'm going to make war on the rest of the off offspring. In chapter 13, we'll start going into what's going to happen next. But let's go over a chapter overview. Again, that only took minutes. That's why I did chapter 12. It was a short chapter. Revelation 12, 1 through 2. Israel, represented as a woman clothed with the sun, is the first sign in heaven and the child. Revelation 12, 11 through 4. A great red dragon, symbolic of Satan, is the second sign in heaven. He will cause a third of the angels to fall to the rebellion. Okay? Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Satan will war against God in heaven, but God's angels will overpower him, expel him, and throw him down to the earth. Revelation 12, 15. After heavenly defeat, he'll attack God's people, and God will send an army to drown them, which is the earth opening up. Revelation 12, 15. Revelation 12, 16. The earth, however, will help God's people by swallowing up these troops in an earthquake. And that is Revelation chapter 12. Those are the three. If you are like, I'm confused, just go to the end of every chapter on these videos and look at the chapter overview. This is incredible, guys, what God is doing. I'm telling you right now, God is releasing something upon the earth, something happening. God is moving right now. God is speaking to his people. And there is, listen to me, chat. There is a last day remnant that is rising up in the earth. There is a time army that is rising up in the earth. 3,100 of you right now, you are a part of that remnant. I don't want to be ignorant to what God is doing. Again, Again, we're trying to make these as simple as possible so that we can have an end time biblical perspective all those that say oh this is just scaring people get out of here with all that okay the bible says there's a prompt teach revelation and those that know revelation and so god is opening our eyes some of you say i've never heard this my whole life in church that is because right now the holy spirit 
Make up your eyes. Right now, the Holy Spirit is awakening you. And Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you begin to wake people up tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your power would be released, that Lord, you'd give us power, even though we're not in the tribulation. I pray, Lord, that you would give us power in the last days, power to overcome persecution, power to overfusion. Lord, as this beast system is already being established on the earth. I pray, Lord, that there would be a remnant. I pray that 3,100 people on this broadcast would be this last day remnant, would be this end time army. Father, equip us, God. Train our fingers for war. Train our hands for battle. Father, I pray and I just feel a prefer, Lord, that the Lord is removing idols and distractions. If there's distractions in your life right now, this is not the hour to be distracted. This is not the hour to, God has woke you up. It's time to go to war. So, Father, right now I pray, remove distractions, Lord. Remove, God, all these lives that are hindering us from getting into your word. I pray, Lord, that many of them that are in the chat would begin to glow again. I pray there would be a shine again. I pray there would be passion. I prophesy over you that your passion is coming back, that your fire is coming back, that there's a fresh anointing, there's a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost, that God is doing a new tonight. In, in Jesus' name, Lord, let us have the glow. If the angel could glow with the glory of God, Father, let us get in your presence. I That we would get in your presence and we would walk out different. Lord, that we would get in your presence and we would walk out change. We'd walk out dot shine light on areas of our life right now that are not of you lord bring revival to our family we pray god bring revival to our marriages god release your holy spirit you said if we ask that you'll release your holy spirit today lord we pray that we would receive the baptism of the holy spirit right now just begin to ask the lord say lord with your holy spirit father right now fill those in the chat with the holy spirit we need the holy ghost for these last days we need the power of the holy spirit for these end times holy ghost we ask you fill us Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Have your way, God. I pray a supernatural fire over you. Let us burn for you. Some of you that your fire is going dim, God's going to get it right now. God's going to rekindle the flame. Let us hunger for the word of God. Some of you are like, I just want the sweet. I don't want anything bitter. God is going to give you an appetite for American watered down sweet Christianity. But God is going to give you an appetite for his, his um, kingdom. He's going to give you an appetite for his. He's going to give you an appetite for convicting preaching. You're not going to turn it off. You're going to turn it on. All these soft uh, sugar-coated preachers, you're going to lose your for that. You're going to say, Lord, give me an appetite for the scroll. Give me an appetite for your word. Give me an appetite for the whole counsel of God. Father, I want, I'm praying this for myself tonight. Lord, I want conviction. Come on, ask him. I want conviction. I want you to change me. I want you to deliver me. I want you to do something new in my life, Lord. Convict us, God. Convict our hearts. Lord, let it be bitter. Let it be, let it be sour. Let it not always just be so sweet and just rainbows. But God, we are praying in Jesus' name that you would just release your power right now. Right now, God is releasing. God is releasing supernatural hunger. Just right now, supernatural hunger for the word of God. Father, release it on me. Let me crave the word. Let me crave the scroll. Ask him, say, Lord, let me crave your word. Let me crave your book. Night, God. Just as you told Ezekiel to eat your words, just as you told Isaiah to eat it, just as they ate the scroll, just as Jeremiah, God, just as John said, scroll out of the angel's hand and I ate it. Father, let us consume the word of God. Jesus said, don't live on bread alone. Don't live on bread alone, but live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth that we want to live on your word. Fill us, Holy Ghost. Fill us with power. Fill us with power. God, heal our bodies tonight. Deliver us tonight in Jesus' name. Tonight in Jesus' name. You are a God of miracles, signs, and wonders. 
Holy Ghost, we ask you to move. We want you to move. Father, we know there's many people and pastors and leaders and churches that don't want your glory. We want your glory. We want your power. We want your anointing tonight in Jesus' name. Need you, Lord. Come on, tell them right now. Tell them right now, we need you, Lord. We need you. We need to crave you, God. We need it. We're not, none of us have arrived. I'm not there yet. I want to be there. I want it, God. Take me to that next level. I want to go from glory to glory to glory. I don't want to live my life on the fringes of this religious system. I don't want to live my life in the kiddie pool. It's time to take the floaties off. Come on, it's time to get out of the kiddie pool, chat. It's time to get out of the kiddie pool. God is anointing you tonight. God has called you. God has mandated you. Father, get us out of the kiddie pool. I even feel the Lord for some of you. I want to just pray. And I, well, I don't, I don't even necessarily want to pray for you, but I want you to pray that God would lead you to the right group of people. Some of you are in dead churches. You're in weak churches. You're in sugar-coated churches. And I just pray, Lord, lead them, God, to the right place. Lead them to the right church in Jesus' name. Lead them to the remnant. Excuse me. Lead them to the remnant, God. Lead them to those that are walking holy. Lead them to those pastors that are real shepherds and not hirelings. The real shepherd will defend you when the wolf comes. The hireling will never defend you. He'll only preach about your best life now. He'll never actually defend you against the enemy. He'll never actually engage in spiritual warfare. So Father, lead them to people that will actually protect them, actually guard them, actually convict them. I pray, Holy Spirit, lead them. Lead them, God, to the right place. Lead them to the right church. Lead them to the right body of believers. No more weak churches, God. No more soft, sugar-coated churches and preachers. Lord, bring us people that will tell us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Now, don't be asking God to send you to that fiery, convicting church. And then when you get there, get mad when they convict you. And then you get there, get mad when they point out your sin. Father, bring people in our life that convict us. And Lord, remove people in our life that challenge us to live lukewarm and not challenge us to live holy. Remove people in our life that convince us to live lukewarm and in compromise and bring people that Lord convince us to live righteous in Jesus' name. No more weak, anemic, watered-down, powerless churches, God. Raise up your church. Raise up your bride, God. Raise up pastors. Some of you, maybe you're going to be a pastor, or maybe you are. Raise up pastors and apostles and prophets and leaders in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I want you guys to type in the chat, what was your favorite part about tonight? From chapters 10 through 13, what was your favorite portion of the scripture? Again, guys, we're going verse by verse tonight through the book of Revelation. The power of God is moving. And I want you to know, not even just during these prayer at the end, but the power of God is moving throughout the whole broadcast. Because as we preach his word, it's not my word. It's the word of God. As we preach the word of God, miracles happen. As we preach, all of you guys sing all of it. I love you guys. But as this is the word of God. So I love that you love the word of God. The two witnesses, I love the part of the two witnesses. I love it. I love how God just turns around what the devil means for bad. God turns around for good. Praise the Lord. But you have to understand that God is doing something right now in these last days, that God is speaking in these last days, and that God is moving in these last days. And I need you to do me a huge favor. Before you get off, again, we're going to stay on here. We're going to read the donations. Those of you that want to give into the word, you can. Actually, let me put it on screen. And I want you guys to all do me a huge favor before you log off. I know some of you can't give. It's okay. Before you log off, like the broadcast. 2,500 of you, and there's 1,700 likes. So please, right now, if you can't afford to give, that's totally fine. I need you to like the broadcast. If you want to give into tonight, you can. We always say don't dine and dash. The links to give are right there. 
um, all on screen. We appreciate you guys. We are supported by you guys. All of our content is free. All the time we put in, the hours we put into studying, to preparing, and doing everything that we do online, uploading every day. We are supported by you guys 100%. So thank you everyone that's giving sewing. And I do have this new thing right here. That is a QR code. So if you want to give on my website monthly or one time, super easy to give. Just scan that code on your phone. Literally just put your camera, your phone camera to that on your screen. It'll pop up my website, take you right to giving. It makes it like, there's no way I can make it easier, guys. Like literally open your camera app and you can give on the website. Now, if you do give on the website there, make sure that if you put um, one, you make sure you choose whether you want one time or monthly, okay? Don't accidentally put recurring. Make sure you choose one time or monthly. Um, that's going to help you out a lot. All right. Yeah, the QR code is just going to take you to the website. It's just a code that your phone can read. It's a sequence of, of um, code that will take you to a website. If you don't know what a QR code um, is, it's 2021. They're everywhere. So you, you probably should by now. But anyway, amen. It's an easier way to give. And if you're like, I can't type in the site. What is the site again? Please make sure if you give on my website. If you don't want to recur monthly, make sure you put one time in the box, okay? Don't accidentally do recurring. Make sure that you're paying attention to what you're putting, to what you're typing, to what times it is. Um, just pay attention as you give. Thank you, guys. Also, if you want to give on PayPal, the link's in the description. I could also... Mm, no, I probably won't do that. But the link's in the description and the link's in the comments. If you want to become a multi-partner, the QR code is on screen. There you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for you guys. I know not everyone is tech savvy. Thank you guys for giving. We appreciate you. Venmo's at Isaiah Saldivar. This does help support the ministry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know those of you that can't afford to give, don't feel bad. What we'll do now is we're going to read the donations and then hang out with the chat for a little bit. So we're not done, but we are done with the teaching part of the broadcast, which is we've been live for an hour and a half. So I think I, I think I poured out to you guys and... Um, I went, I went, I just, I leave it all on the field that like every time I can, I just, I mean, every time I'm live, I don't hold back. I leave it all on the field. And so praise. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the revival lifestyle podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.